Now entering Nerdist.com. My name is Ben Blacker. I'm the creator of the Nerdist Writers panel series. Follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker and let me know who you'd like to see on this series. I'm always looking for new ideas for TV show, movies, books, comics, anyone you like who writes things. Do me a favor, though, and check the archive to see if we've already had that person on whom you would like to hear from. Uh, I am a television writer. I've written for Supernatural, Super Ninjas, and I'm currently on the Netflix uh, DreamWorks show Puss in Boots. Uh, I'm also the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour stage production in the style of old-time radio, which is a weekly podcast here on the Nerdist Network. For more information, visit thrillingadventurehour.com. Each and every Nerdist Writers Panel benefits 826LA, the national writing program for students. Uh, please check them out at 826LA.org. A couple of live Nerdist Writers Panels coming up that we are very excited about in Los Angeles on Sunday, September 21st at 5 p.m. at good old Nerd Melt. Uh, we are sitting down with showrunner Greg Plagman and all of the person of interest writers. It should be a lot of fun. They're going to give you a sneak preview of the next season. They're going to talk about how last season came together. Uh, you never know who will stop by. So that's on Sunday, September 21st, 5 p.m. Go to holdmyticket.com and look for the orange Nerdist Writers Panel logo or just go to facebook.com slash panel, and I'll be updating about all the live shows there, including October 9th, Thursday, October 9th, 7 p.m. in New York uh, at the Housing Works Bookstore, uh, and this is to benefit uh, AIDS research, which all the Housing Works stuff does. Uh, I'll be sitting down again with Terrence Winter, the creator of Boardwalk Empire, Oscar nominee for The Wolf of Wall Street, uh, as well as a couple of newcomers to the panel, Danny Strong, my old pal Danny Strong, uh, former actor, current terrific writer. He's working on the Hunger Games Mockingjay movies. Uh, he wrote The Butler. He wrote HBO's Recount, which was really cool. Um, and Alice Cott, who is a writer for Marvel's uh, Secret Avengers right now and Iron Patriot. He also wrote Zero from Image Comics. Uh, Secret Avengers is a great comic, and I really wanted to talk to Alice about it. So... That is on Thursday, October 9th from 7 p.m. Uh, in New York uh, at the Housing Works Bookstore and, again, benefits AIDS research. Uh, it should be real cool. Again, the best way to find out how to get tickets for all these things is go to our Facebook page and like it, facebook.com slash Panel. And to follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, I'll be updating about this stuff. Uh, while in New York, this is all part of New York Comic Con's uh, Super Week, we'll be doing a couple of live Nerdist Comics panels, too, featuring such folks as Brian Michael Bendis um, and Jerry Duggan and Charles Sewell. Uh, these are going to be really cool. They're going to be uh, during the week before New York Comic Con, so, you know, between October 8th and 10th. And I will uh, update on Facebook and on Twitter about that. Again, Facebook is facebook.com slash panel, uh, and Twitter is me, at Ben Blacker. Um, and I'll, I'll let you know how to get tickets for those as soon as they go on sale. Hope to see you at one of these live events. We haven't done them in a while. It'll be good to be back. Get your questions ready. Those are always the best parts. 
In the meantime, um, Nerdist has asked if you would fill out a survey for them to gain information for advertising purposes. This will help keep the podcast free and will help us get advertisers that relate directly to you. The survey only takes a couple of minutes and is completely anonymous. Go to this episode's page on Nerdist.com and click on the survey link to fill it out. Nerdist would really appreciate if you would do that. Thanks. Enjoy this episode. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blecker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. Uh, guys, I've got Simon Barrett. I'm excited about it. Uh, I was a huge fan of Your Next. Oh, thank you. I'm, which you wrote. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not putting that on you, right? <laughs> um, I, I really enjoyed that movie. Um, and I actually, after watching I was like, i got to find out who that guy is. And then luckily our, our paths crossed. Um, before we talk about the, the Guest, which is the new movie, which is out... September 17th in okay, the U.S. So it'll be this week. Uh, that this comes yes, out. Yes, yes. Um, before we talk about that, uh, I do want to talk about your next, because this felt like a big... I know you guys had done... You and, and Adam uh, had done some stuff before mm-hmm. uh, together, but this felt like a much... Like a step up, like a leveling up for you. Well, that was the weird thing is, you know, I mean, we kind of both were making movies for zero dollars, and, and we were just, like, completely... We'd, like, completely both failed in our careers, like, at the point that we started working together. Like, um... <laughs> I was out here working full-time as a private investigator, which I ended up doing for about a decade. And Adam was, like, basically living on my couch, uh, like, uh, for a while. And, and, you know, alternating time between his girlfriend at the time's place in Alabama, I think his father's house in Alabama. And he'd, like, come out here and crash with me or with our friend uh, E.L. Katz, who did the film Cheap Thrills. And, you know, but he basically was kind of homeless. And, and, you know, and so, you know, we were just kind of, like, trying to figure out how to get anything made. And, And so we just, you know... So our initial kind of films that we did together were really like, like what kind of movie could we make for like under a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars? Because that was what it felt like we could get, mm-hmm. you know, from just like friends and you know, calling in favors and just you know, ha- like having everyone kind of work for free and give us locations for free and stuff. That felt like, you know, what we could achieve. And well, and and was that the conversation because you guys knew you wanted to make it yourselves? I mean, was there talk of creating something and trying to? sell that you know just giving something away essentially we did not have that option Mm -hmm. uh adam and i have always talked about how like in retrospect one of the most fortunate things that happened to us was we were never given the opportunity to sell out because we would have gladly taken it and and you know the reputation that we now have that we now have that actually serves us very well in dealing with you know studios and, and we work with like the same producers now but but like you know, we were able to go into those relationships with a lot of confidence because they could look at, like, our pedigree of films and sure. be like, these guys have clearly, like, an artistic integrity to them. But it was just because, like, literally no one would hire us to do, like, you know, a Child's Play sequel or a Puppet right. Master, like, reboot. We would have done it in a heartbeat, um, you know, just to, like, pay off our credit card bills mm-hmm. or, or pay our rent or just to not have to work full-time as a PI for a couple months. Um, so, so, but nobody was hiring us. Um mm-hmm. You know, on the basis of, of, you know, our body of work, you know, I'd written a couple of horror films that, you know, kind of didn't really breach anyone's radar, uh, mm-hmm. Dead Birds. I did something for the sci-fi channel called Frankenfish, and I thought that was, like, it, man. I thought I was, you know, I was in my early 20s. I was, like, you know, clearly the universe has finally, um, you know, acknowledged <laughs> my genius. Well, wait, let's, let, as long as we're getting into your life story, let's take a step back. Well, sorry. I, I, yeah, I didn't mean to necessarily get <laughs> no, but it, I mean, it, it all. But it, it, it's the momentum, right? It all well, I was just trying other. to explain, like, why... 
you know, why we were kind of making the choices that we did. Mm -hmm. And so your next was a step up, but it really was, we were always just kind of thinking like, what's the next level of like what we can make. Gotcha. Um, and, and that was really based on what can we get financed. Sure. And we were working in that system of, of trying to finance our independent films and working completely outside of any studio system. You know, your next was a genuinely very independent film, Mm -hmm. you know, made with like friends and family in my hometown of Columbia, Missouri. And the fact that it got picked up and distributed by Lionsgate is one of those like, you know, insane indie success stories. But we just were like, after we did A Horrible Way to Die, we were just like, what can we pull off now? Mm -hmm. It seems like home invasion movies are kind of hot right now. You know, like, okay. Did you, have that, you actually have that conversation. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. What's the trend? And also, it's feasible. It's all yeah, in one location. Yeah, it felt like, yeah, exactly. It's one location, two locations, which after A Horrible Way to Die, which, like, the bane of our existence on that shoot was that it was, like, an 18-day shoot with, like, 30 or so locations, wow. all of which we, our locations budget on that film ended up being $100. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, and it was a nightmare. It was a night. I was, like, the first AD and line producer on that shoot. And so, I, you know, I was the one scheduling stuff. And I would just be like, Adam, you got two hours, and we can't turn that refrigerator off. Uh, like, figure it out. I'm going to go to the gas station and make sure that guy remember, remembers, like, you know, when I used to help him, like, carry his garbage in, like, you know, the 11th grade. Oh uh, and then we'll be able to film there for a while, but we can't film any logos. Um, so that was a nightmare. And it, it, made, it made, you know, it was just really, like, it, it really, you know, that film, the deficiencies in that film were because of that. It felt like that particular conundrum, Hmm. in addition to, you know, our respective deficiencies as artists at that time. (laughs) But, but so, yeah, so we were just like, let's do something single location, super technical, super Mm -hmm. fun. And it also felt like that was a, you know, we felt like we could get that financed. And sure enough, Hmm. as soon as we, like, met with, you know, the producers that have become kind of a crucial part of our creative team now, which we're, you know, completely lucky to have, uh, Keith and Jess Calder, Mm -hmm. um, we were, they were like, what do you guys want to do next? And we're like, we want to do a home invasion movie. They're like, we want to do a home invasion movie. And, and, you know, for the same reasons. And meanwhile, you know, there wasn't a script. I didn't have an idea. Well, this is what I'm kind of curious about, because it's, it's funny. It's a, it's obviously a horror film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's obviously a home invasion film, like many others that have existed. Straw Dogs comes immediately. To mind. Oh yeah, certainly. But yeah. like, it's also a very funny film. I yeah, mean, it has a really interesting tone to it, uh, which feels like it would be very hard to pitch. Y- well, I, I don't ever pitch anything. Um, no- okay. Nobody, um, nobody knows what I'm writing until I have a finished script that I'm happy with, and then I show it to them. And they don't know what the story is going to be or who the characters are. And this includes Adam. So this, so these financiers came on board based on what you guys had done in the past and the idea of a well, they didn't finance. Movie. I've never written. I've, I've except for a couple times for studio stuff that so far hasn't been made. Mm-hmm. I've never written anything for money. Okay, I write everything on spec. And then I go to people and I say, like, like buy this from me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I put in all this work. Yeah. And again, you know, so much of what I'm going to say is, like, I have this, like, method. But it's important to remember that I have that method because nobody would give me money to write anything. Right. So I developed over, you know, right. a decade or so of working on successfully this method of working completely <laughs> on my own terms, on my own schedule. And, and now I don't know how to work any other way. Mm-hmm. No, I have. We did a, we, you know, we're doing a project with a couple of studios right now and, and they give me like actual deadlines and stuff. And I meet those deadlines mm-hmm. and I'm happy working that way. And it's nice actually getting paid. <laughs> but when it comes to our personal projects, uh, just, you know. I think Keith and Jess also, you know, it takes lawyers a really long time to broker deals. In the time that it takes our lawyers yeah. to finish a contract, I could write like three or four scripts. So it's just like, look, just we'll, f- we'll figure out the deal when I'm done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you guys don't like the script, don't buy it. Okay. And then I don't have to sweat it when I'm writing it. I don't have that like extreme writer anxiety of like, oh, my God, you know, what if what if this isn't good? What if everyone hates this? Mm-hmm. You know, which is like the definition of what causes like writer's block. 
Um, and what causes you to spend, you know, eight hours on Twitter and then be like, well, I guess I'll call it a day. Right. Um, Listen, you know, that's work. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> like, that was like my last two weeks and I'm feeling oh, no. not great right now. But, um, but, but, you know, but I know something will click soon and, right. and uh, the pages will start coming again. Well, um, what, like, this might be a good place to talk about, you know, you've kind of told us the macro of the process, which is the, how, how you kind of get things done which is just getting them done yeah um but what is <laughs> some, some of they get done what is the day-to-day for you uh when you're working on a new project like like this one that you're working on now oh man uh yeah i'm like ashamed to describe my actual days in any kind of like honest terms um i honestly it's just I, writers who listen honestly to i tend to sleep until about noon um, and and yes and then i <laughs> tend to put around on the internet for about two to three hours Um, usually, usually that's like, like uh, some of that's like actual work email stuff, you know, especially, you know, now when we have a movie coming out and Mm -hmm. I'm doing like a press tour and stuff, there's a lot of emails that I actually have to respond to. And especially since I've been asleep for, you know, the previous five hours while everyone was working, I tend to wake up and immediately have a stab of sheer anxiety as I look at my like 30 new emails, many of which are like, you know, why isn't Simon weighing in? (laughs) Is he dead? Because I keep it a secret and, you know, fortunately no one will listen to this podcast. No. no one I know anyway, because they are sick enough of hearing me talk. Um, so I'm not really revealing anything here, but they all, I think, uh, don't know that I sleep till noon, but I do every day. But that's because I step to like five a.m. every night. Um, and so then I usually um, try to leave my apartment a little bit. Um, I, 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 um, I study martial arts, a lot of different martial arts, and so I'll go to like school or the gym or something. And then I'll come home like early evening and I'll be like, God, I really need to write now. This is like totally messed <laughs> up. Like the day is already gone. And I do this every single day. But every single day it's a new experience for Absolutely. me realizing that the day is almost gone and I've <laughs> failed to write anything. And then I will stare at my computer for probably two or three more hours. And then right around 8 or 9 p.m. I'll start writing. Um, and that will go, you know, depends on whether or not, you know, I have any like social plans or anything. But generally that, you know, if I left to my own devices... That'll go until like three or four in the morning. Wow. Um, and at some point I'll take a shower or eat a meal. Um, right. And I don't like that schedule and I don't recommend it. Um, but, but I don't <laughs> what know. What has gotten you on the schedule? I don't, I, I don't, I think, um, I think I don't have a good answer. I think I had a day job for so long in my career that I now just have to like substitute like something for that day job. <laughs> like when I had a day job, I was constantly furious and I had this idea that as soon as I didn't have to work, you know, regular hours and, and finish my film projects in my spare time, mm-hmm. you know, I'd become the world's most productive human being. I'd write like 15 novels a year <laughs> if I, uh, but instead I've just found like, like garbage to fill those hours <laughs> that I, that were previously allocated to my day job. Um, and I'm like, I would say like I'm working on making some changes to what I just described to you, but it's been that way for a couple of years. So that those hours of productivity, mm-hmm. uh, in, <laughs> That seem to happen between eleven and four. Yeah. Um, how productive are they? What are you? Like, very, is I, there a page count? Is there something you aim for, or do you just go until you can't go anymore? I go until I can't go anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I I also actually personally think I only really get started around then because that's when I like I can't procrastinate any further because I'm starting to get sleepy. Um, no, I mean I you know I try I I don't set goals for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more like. 
like when I hit a wall, um, then I know it's time to just like go to bed. But I also, I, you know, I don't outline anything. This is my question. Um, I don't write treatments or mm-hmm. anything like that. I, I, if, if a studio makes me, I can right. write a treatment. And, you know, because I like am literate, I, I, do, I can do as well, that as well as anyone else. Right. But, but on these personal projects. On my personal projects, I don't outline and I don't write treatments. So how does the story start to take shape for you? Um, I just think a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, right now, for example, I would say that there's at least 20 script ideas that I have in my head right now um, that I haven't written anything on. Mm-hmm. But, but like, you know, some of them are stuff that Adam and I have talked about. Some of it's just stuff that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of figuring out on my own. Um, but, you know, a lot of it is, you know, like, Adam and I will have a conversation. I'll be like, oh, that's a cool idea. You know, like, we'll, we'll make that movie someday. Mm-hmm. We'll, you know, we'll do, like, a World War One movie or something. Mm-hmm. And, and then I just think about it. And then I think about it until I, like really figure out its ending and then usually i'll write that ending Mm -hmm. and then now you're coming in with an idea something a world war one movie Mm -hmm. and what do you know to get to that ending like what is what is the what does the ending mean to you if you don't uh, when do the characters start to take shape or how do they start well yeah i mean it's different for every project but like right away i'll be kind of like okay you know Say say we're doing like a World War One movie. Well, I wouldn't want it to be about like like any specific battle, or I wouldn't want it to be like oh the Germans are bad and and you know the Americans and French and English are good because um, we've seen that story a lot. And in World War One in particular, it was like I, I it's so confusing how that war even started, you know. So I'd want it to be you know I'd want the conflict to be in between like say like soldiers in the trenches. So say like let's do like you know some kind of weird like like thriller that's like a bunch of characters trying to murder each other who are all on the same side in the trenches and you never even see the germans and then i start thinking about like who you know who those characters be and so that's speaking about like a specific idea that we're working mm-hmm. on and i shouldn't get too much more into it cuz I, sure. I do want to make that film someday that's a good, that's a good but like but so so then i start having like kind of the idea of you know who are those characters to create that dynamic and make it interesting you know like what's What's our version of, like, say, you know, World War One film? Well, I don't want it to be like anything else, so what's our different version? And then who's, who are the characters to make that work? And then from that point, then I can kind of start to figure out, like, how do I want it to end? Mm-hmm. And then that's the first thing I write, and then I just kind of start at page one, mm-hmm. and I work towards the ending. And if it's not, if a scene isn't getting me closer to that ending, then it's not working, and I just delete it. Wow. Yeah, and so that's, that's my version of outlining. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's... You know, it's funny. I, I, I've I've read reviews recently that that have uh, criticized the endings of Ad- Adams and my films. <laughs> really, but I think we have strong endings. And, and what, I think what do these reviews have to say? I don't know. I think they just feel like I think they just felt like we weren't totally nailing it. Um, it you know, it was, it was uh, specifically it was a couple of British reviews that were just like, you know, these guys have like really good premise premises, but but they don't really fully ever like explore them. Hmm. I was just like, oh, well, you That's know, interesting. Hey, you know, maybe it's a fair critique. I mean, I, mean I, I look at your next, and even I mean, from what I know of the guests, like these don't these aren't high premised movies. No, you know? they're, like, they're, they're good ideas, yeah. and you see a story there. They suggest story, but they're not, you know, kind of out there yeah. high concept things. Well, you know, I have a I have actually a problem with sometimes high concept stuff because I don't think sometimes it does lend itself to the best stories yeah. and the best characters. You know, if you come up with like a really great like world, then you spend half your time explaining that world. Absolutely. And 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 you know, sometimes that's not the kind of story that I really want to tell or explore. But but yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I can't really speak speaks to that. But I mean, it, it was it was one of those rare criticisms that I read it, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to take that seriously because I really want our films to have very good endings. Mm-hmm. I think I think actually my issue 
and with a lot of Hollywood films, and this is specifically something I was thinking of in writing your next, is that I don't think they have good endings and they don't build to anything. They don't ever escalate. They'll like have big final action scenes, a lot of Hollywood films, sure. but the stakes aren't higher and you don't care more. And if you think about a lot of like big blockbuster action films, they have that big action scene, but usually it's not your favorite action scene in the mm-hmm. movie. Usually it's like something fun at the midway point. You know, is your favorite action scene in like Captain America, the Winter Soldier, that big kind of weird nonsense thing at the end where no one can die? Or is it the awesome scene in the elevator where he beats the crap out of those, like, ten guys, yeah. and you actually care about, like, the stakes? And it, you know, that was my favorite action scene in that movie, was yeah. a contained scene where I didn't quite know what was going to happen, Absolutely. as opposed to the more traditional Marvel CGI ending. So I feel like they don't really get that, like, Jackie Chan, Buster Keaton, like, escalation very well. <laughs> though they know that it should happen. So, you know, so when I was writing Your Next, for example, like, you know, a film that I really studied, and it was the only film that I rewatched to figure out how it did what it did, but it was uh, Bring Up Baby. Um, really? You know, yeah, because that's a, basically a single location movie mm-hmm. that escalates in a really fun, clever way. And, you know, if you just kind of substitute horror for comedy, <laughs> um, you know, that movie is actually very educational. And, you know, there were other films like like uh, the French film Inside, obviously, and, and uh, you know, the French film uh, Eels, Them. Um, that that we you know like, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to imitate those sure. movies because they did what they did extraordinarily right. well. Um, it was more about trying to find like what's a you know how do we do our new thing? Mm-hmm. How do we do something different? Um, you know, I hate it actually when people derive inspiration from just like the films that they admire because then all you get is generic repetition. Um, I actually think it's much better to derive inspiration from films that you don't admire. And try to figure out how to how to solve the problems that those movies mm. were themselves maybe unable to solve, you know. So that was what we were doing really with your next is mm-hmm. we were watching, you know, a bunch of home invasion movies where there was like like a lot of extreme torture scenes, a lot of like threats of sexual violence and stuff that was just like, you know, what, regardless of whether it's politically defensible, it wasn't particularly fun. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like what we realized is like you know where's that first like fifteen minutes of scream. Where, yeah. like, despite the fact that you're scared for Drew Barrymore, the way the scene is escalating is, like, really entertaining and funny also. Um, you know, and so that was kind of what we were, you know, that's, that's what I was trying to come at, um, was just, like, I hate what all these movies are doing. How do, but, how, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. instead of just sitting here and being like, I hate this, which I was, I was sitting in the theaters being like, I hate this, I hate this so much. But I was like, but then it's like, well, how would I do something different? Right. Well, you know? and you're, you're a filmmaker, you're not a theorist, and you're not a critic. Well, so at that you, time I was... You can do that. Well, at that time I wasn't totally sure about that. You know, I, I, I really wasn't sure if everyone, if anyone would ever let us make another movie. Whether or not they let you, it seems like you always knew this is what you were supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, I would have written the script, just no one would have read it. Right. Um, but yeah, but I mean, it, you know, I, I, every writer, um, even if I taught a screenwriting class, I would only show bad movies. And, and I would be like, you know, why... So mean. No, well, I mean, well, they're in school anyway. I mean, they're already... <laughs> they already hate it. They're, yeah, they're already unhappy. <laughs> like, and, and they're supposed to be unhappy, if I remember my education correctly. And so I would show them, like, a terrible, mm-hmm. very cliched film, I won't name any names, <laughs> but, and I would be like, you know, and I'd stop it at a certain point and be like, Hey, who can guess what's going to happen at the end of the scene? And everyone would be able to answer. Cause it's, and, and then you'd be like, why? And they'd all be able to answer. And you'd be like, all right, what would you do differently? You know, to subvert that. Like, how would you change that? Like, what mm-hmm. would, you know, what would you do to make you the viewer right now? Who's bored at how the scene's going to end and you know where it's going. What would you do to like, not only surprise, but please yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I mean, I, even like really popular movies this year, you know, I just sit there and I'm like, like just watch them hit the same beats again and again and again. And look, I'm not saying that if someone didn't, you know, wanted to pay me a lot of money to do that, I'd say no, 
But as long as, again, nobody's offering, uh, I can maintain my artistic integrity and just be like, you know, look, we're making movies outside of studio system, so let's take advantage of the fact that we can do mm-hmm. really interesting things in terms of tonal shifts, um, you know, just weird narrative, you know, like like 90-degree turns and, you know, and as, until uh, audiences um, become totally furious with us, you know, we'll keep having the opportunity. Sure. I mean, not that, you know, your next was the biggest box office hit of like 2013, but we got, we got to make another one. Exactly. And, that, and that's, that's all that matters. Right. It, it seems like that's been the goal each time. Yeah. Make, yeah. And honestly, your next was a big enough success, you know, cause that was, that movie cost well under a million dollars and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and it was, it was, you know, I think it was a very modest success for Lionsgate, but it was a massive success for us. Sure. And and I think, you know, I think we now will get maybe two or three failures before, before you know, we have to go back to our day jobs. Right. So that's, like, actually the first time we've ever had a safety net. And that actually was a huge, like, creative, stu- like, stumbling block in making The Guest. Because hmm. up until The Guest, every project that Adam and I conceived together was, like, what can we get financed right now and what can we pull off with like the cameras that our friends own, right. you know, our friends, all our non-SAG like friends who are, who can act, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and after your next was the first time that, you know, that it was like, okay, like, like, you know, you guys are successful now, you know, maybe not by like Hollywood standards, but certainly by right. like your Enough own. Enough to make the next one. Yeah. And so what do you guys want to do next? Right. And, and, and so we weren't just like thinking very practically and Adam's talked about this a lot and I don't, I don't want to repeat anything that he said before but like go ahead and repeat it I haven't heard <laughs> well it really was just like a very interesting kind of like thing of like trying to like remember why we wanted to make movies in the first place because mm-hmm. um, we'd had that so kind of beaten out of us by trying to like make movies within the Hollywood system realizing that we weren't particularly good at working that way at least not you know not like totally on someone else's terms and then making you know these very low budget kind of mumblecore movies ourselves um, and then suddenly having the opportunity that we, you know, after 10 years of failing, um, you know, it was really kind of jarring and, and we didn't really know, you know, mm-hmm. we didn't have a good answer. We were like, you know, like, like, you know, what should we, you know, it was really like, well, what's, what's the next version of what we did with your next? What's the next like way to step it up? So originally we had this like ridiculous idea of shooting this action movie in Korea, um, which I, which I wrote several drafts of that script, uh, which was called inauspiciously, uh, nonstop. It, yeah, yeah. So that uh, yeah, Liam Neeson movie uh, hadn't had not obviously come out yet. This was like 2012, mm-hmm. uh, t- end of 2011, 2012, and um, and you know we we even went to Korea and like met with producers there, working with, again with Keith Calder and Jess Calder, um, you know, and uh, and it was going to be like a nonstop chase scene with like mm-hmm. you know an ambulance picks up a gunshot victim and then people start attacking the ambulance on the way to the hospital, oh and they like the kind of sole surviving paramedic. Uh, who's this young woman realizes that she had that like the gunshot victim is kind of this James Bond type character and she has to like complete his mission for him. Um, you know, and it was going to be, it, it was, it wasn't, a, it wasn't horrible, <laughs> but it was never good. Okay. And it never ever could have been like a film that we could have made. And so the, and so we just kind of, and we also realized that making movies in Korea was, you know, you shouldn't, uh, uh, necessarily just pick a place to shoot because you like the way it looked in Old Boy. <laughs> um, you know, especially if you don't speak any Korean and don't understand Korean yeah. culture and, you know, things like that. So that was kind of the funny thing. It's like, oh, we can make anything we want? Well, we want to make Old Boy, <laughs> but an action movie. And everyone was like, eh, okay, well, like, let's dial that back a little bit <laughs> right. to like, like back within the realm of possibility. And, we're like, and that's when the guest kind of uh, belatedly surfaced. But, uh, you know. How did you guys start talking about it? Where did. Well, yeah. What what came first, I guess? 
I mean, it's 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 tough to say, but I mean, it, 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 I mean, all our projects are so weird and different, you know. Mm-hmm. Like like, you know, your next came from Adam being like, you know, I want to do something with the strangers, and I kind of just went off and wrote your next, and he was like, well, that wasn't what I was expecting, but I but I'm very happy and let's make it. <laughs> um, and and the horror boy did I was a very similar thing. We wanted to do like a mumblecore kind of like like drama but with some genre elements and i was just like i, I think i can do that hmm. um the guest actually was a pre-existing was pre-existing pages that i salvaged really um it was a it was a script that i'd started in i, I want to say 2007 um and it was going to be much more of a contained like stepfather like kind of like hmm. dramatic thriller and this was also during a period where you know hollywood really felt uh compelled to weigh in on the fact that the rack war was was not good but all those films were basically just, you know, that was basically what they had to say about it. They were like, their Rock War is not good. And no one went to see those movies because they, they didn't even want to watch news broadcasts about that during that time period. So movies like Stop Loss and In the Valley of Allah and stuff were coming out. Um, Jarhead, I think, was around that time, too, mm-hmm. though that was uh, the, the previous Rack War. Um, and so, so I kind of wanted to get in on that. You know, I wanted I wanted some of that sweet, sweet kind of political outrage, and you know, and I'm a pretty self righteous person, so you know, so I I wanted to get in on that stuff, and so I kind of had my own version, which was going to be you know, kind of this PTSD metaphor um, of this soldier that like kind of comes to help help a family, but ends up you know, kind of destroying their lives, which I thought was kind of a, a, a not you know, well you know, it wasn't subtle. And 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 about thirty pages in, uh, I uh, I realized it, it was I was not writing a movie that anyone would want to see, <laughs> and so I just stopped. How, what, a, a lot of writers do not get to that point of realization. What well, made you realize that? Um, the fact that like no one had hired me to write a script in like four years. <laughs> but it wasn't um, specifically about this script. Like mm-hmm. there was something in this that made you say, you know, I'm going down a wrong path. Yeah, you know, I don't know what it was. I mean, it, it might have been the like the political kind of preachiness, which I, you know, I haven't been to any wars, so I felt mm-hmm. I, you know, I kind of was like, I think around that time I was reading like, you know, Generation Kill and stuff, and realizing that like maybe I wasn't qualified to comment on like things that I didn't know about, and maybe you know, this was still I was, you know, I'm in my late twenties, so <laughs> so the understanding that like you know, um, commenting knowledgeably on subjects that you know nothing about is slightly annoying and condescending sure. was, you know, like gradually dawning on me, you know, cause again, I'm, you know, white male, late twenties, like that epiphany was, you know, like still in my future, yeah. but it was, it was kind of, I was kind of reaching it, you know, a little bit and, you know, and I had friends who'd, who'd, uh, who'd been in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and it kind of was this like, you know, am I qualified to really write this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why, you know, I wouldn't write something about, you know, like sexual or gender dis- discrimination uh, without any firsthand kind of experience of what that's like, you know, or at least I'd be extremely careful if I did. Mm-hmm. So what's, you know, what business do I have really writing this kind of B movie um, that's taking on all these serious subjects that I have no, you know, firsthand mm-hmm. knowledge of. So I was kind of having a bit of anxiety about that. I mean, that's not to say that, you know, like Salman Rushdie should only be allowed to write about like things that he's like experienced firsthand, right. but I didn't have that level of like empathy or 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 intelligence, etc. Uh, as a writer, and and I kind of was realizing that um, as I was writing it, <laughs> and then secondly, um, the plot was just very straightforward. I felt like, and and I it was I was kind of like letting myself down a little bit as I was writing it. I was just like, you know, these scenes aren't quite as exciting as I wanted <laughs> them to be. This dynamic isn't quite popping as much as I wanted it to be. This is just kind of like laying there, mm-hmm. and I don't really know how to fix that. You know, I think it's just inherent. I just kind of like looked at it, and I was like, I think this is just inherent in the idea, and it's just not working. Um, and there's things I really love about this, but it's just not. This isn't happening. And furthermore, 
there's no way anyone's going to buy this or finance this. So right. why am I doing this? You know, so, so instead of like a self-indulgent project that you, you know, continue and finish because you just have to get something out of your system creatively mm-hmm. or personally or whatever, this was a self-indulgent project that I was able to like just put, put to rest early and be like, all right, like first act wasn't that good. And you know, let's not go any further. Mm-hmm. Um, let, me, let me just interrupt for one second. I, I do want to hear about when you picked it up again, but in general, uh, are you quick to abandon projects or do you, because you do have 20 ideas percolating at any time, does that make it easy to say, all right, this isn't working. I can put it aside for some time. Well, it's different now. And, and I think I can say, you know, it's, this isn't necessarily an arrogant statement because I'm still talking about like a comparative standard, <laughs> but I'm a, I'm a much better writer now than I was back then. <laughs> sure. And I can make things work now. Well, I think um, I think that goes with experience, right? and with experience also, I don't like tackle like like, like stupid ideas anymore. <laughs> sure. um, I'm not just like like I could write like you, you know you recognize them earlier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like like if someone's like, "Hey, I'm going to write this," I'm like, "Cool." Like, well, I'll want to see that, and literally no one else will. <laughs> you know, I mean, one of right. the hardest things, kind of as a as a screenwriter, especially because you tend to work in such a vacuum, and and you know, and I've directed some stuff and, and gotten out there, and, and and I've obviously produced a lot of things. Um, but at the end of the day, I spend most of my time, you know, in my apartment with a laptop, you know, just like staring yeah. at it. Um, and you lose sometimes touch with what that audience is going to be, you know, and you always need to be thinking about like, who's, who's the audience for this? Who's the viewer? And, how, and, and assume that they're smarter than you and then be like, how am I going to surprise them? How am I going to impress them? Mm-hmm. Like, assume that they're savvier than you, that they are less tolerant of expository dialogue than you are. <laughs> And and then be like, how do I blow these people away? Mm-hmm. You know, not just myself, because I'm much more easily pleased than this hypothetical audience. Especially by your own work. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You're like, this is great, I'm a genius. Absolutely. I mean, and I'm lucky that I, I tend to work, you know, not just in a creative partnership with Adam, mm-hmm. but I also work with producers who mm-hmm. I trust tremendously. And so so they, they can bring the objectivity that I've lost to my work. But that's also why I don't send them pages every night. Sure. That's why I send them a finished draft, yeah. you know, after two months of working on it so that they're not losing that objectivity. They can get the final story. They don't, won't know anything about what it is mm-hmm. until I hand it. I mean, they'll know what type of movie right. it is. It's like a romantic comedy. It's an action movie. It's a right. thriller. But you haven't pitched it all out. I haven't they're pitched still Yeah, they have no idea what they're going to get yeah. necessarily. And, and Adam generally is – generally Adam has more of an idea, but he'll, he won't have seen anything, um, not on the first draft stage right. anyway. And, and, and that way they can really approach it like a viewer. And sim- well, I mean, you're still you're writing for an immediate audience in many ways. Yeah, who you're, who you're kind of placing in in for this much larger audience. Well, and they can let me know if I if yeah. I went off the rails. Absolutely. I mean, it's it you know obviously other writers don't have the luxury of working that way depending on how it goes, but that's mm-hmm. that's how it works for us. And, and similarly, I stay totally out of the editing room mm-hmm. um, when Adam, Adam edits his own work, and he's an incredible editor. Uh, and I mean, obviously he's a very good director too, but, 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 I, but I feel compelled to add because I feel like people don't pay much attention mm-hmm. to the, like the fact that he's also a really st- stunning editor and, um, and I stay completely out of there and his, his like rough cuts tend to be like, like, like have better sound design on them than like a lot of indie films I see, like, you know, premiere at Sundance. Um, cause he just, you know, he writes his own music and stuff and he'll work with like the composers before we go into production. Yeah. So he'll really present you with like what feels like a finished film. Um, just like, you know, so I get to sit there and watch it. And similarly, you know, he's been working for a couple of months. If I'm like that, we can cut this scene, mm-hmm. you know, like stuff might occur to me that like wouldn't have occurred to him. So, sure. so we tend to, you know, part of what makes us work is we give each other a lot of space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and we try to kind of bring that, you know. 
that perspective to each other's work. So, That's great. So, yeah. So, so. And then I guess the other side of that abandoning scripts question is, do you tend to do a lot of drafts? Mm, yeah, I mean, depends. I mean, look, I mean, you know, when you do an indie movie you're always rewriting things because things are always going horribly wrong or like, you know, you get, you like, we've never had the luxury of like building a set. Mm -hmm. Um, we always are shooting the locations. Um, so, you know, so I'll script some like amazing action scene and then get there and be like, Oh, there's only, there's not two (laughs) floors. Right. Okay. I'm going to need to like rethink like the, you know, the stairwell shootout. But these are Um, kind of practical rewrites. I mean, even before you show it to the producers or, yeah, I think Adam's always said that he feels like if my first draft isn't like 90% of the way there, 80, 90% of the the way there, it's not, you know, that's, that's when we kind of like know if we're making a movie mm-hmm. or not. Um, so I don't tend to do a lot of drafts until production. Mm. I, I would say you know usually like three to four drafts before production, and then every day a rewrite. Right. You know, once we're actually shooting a movie. Um, but yeah, I, I, my final drafts tend to be pretty much all the way there. Uh, um, but I, you know, I put a lot of thought into them. Um, Absolutely. And and that's and I know that that's kind of part of our process. Mm-hmm. You know, is that I I need to kind of figure it out on my own. And similarly, like Adam, you know, when Adam's editing a movie, a lot of directors their first assembly of a movie is like four hours long because right. they just put everything in there and then the process is whittling it down. Adam tries to get it to within like ten minutes of the final that's running right. time. You know, looking at script length and stuff like that. He he really cuts a lot of stuff. I mean, sometimes I'll watch the first ver- the first cut of a movie and be like. Where's the scene that we spent like four days shooting? And he'll be like, you know, like, like, did you really miss it though? Because, because I think it works fine without it. And you know, and I mean, so, so he, you know, it's the same. We operate on the same system, you know, mm-hmm. which is we like, you know, I mean, look, we're we're friends and 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 colleagues, but you know, we started working together not because we grew up together, but because we respected each other's work. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, I still want to, you know, I still want to impress Adam with my script, and he still yeah. wants to impress me with his cut. And and by giving each other that space, you know, um, we kind of keep that dynamic going. Um, you know, we're, we're you know when we're not working, we can hang out. But when we're working, we don't see each other a lot mm-hmm. um, until we're shooting, and then we see each other. You know, eighteen hours a day until we like can't stand right. each other, and then and then we go our separate <laughs> you, ways yeah, again. You need to break up. <laughs> and he that. starts editing, and I start writing, and so <laughs> and so you know, and it's a funny thing. And I mean, like you know, I mean, you know, certainly Adam's like my closest friend, but. But when I'm writing and he's editing, you know, I just we just know, you know, like I'm not gonna see you for a few months, man. Like a lot, you know. And he lives with his girlfriend, and so he's just fine, and he'll go <laughs> up and just do his own thing for a while, and and you know, and that's how it makes it makes sense. So, mm-hmm. so you know, going back to the guest, um, yeah. that that original script was completely different from from what's actually you know shortly going to be in theaters, and um, and it was really Adam had this idea about doing like a slasher movie with a, kind of an android, which is that he watched The Terminator and Halloween back to back because we'd had like nonstop fail, not the Liam Neeson film that was enormous success, <laughs> that that wasn't ours, our nonstop failed, and and we had a studio project uh, that kind of you know kind of ended up kind of like like slowing down. It, it it went well, but then it ended up being like not really like like the, something that we wanted to do right away mm-hmm. and. So it kind of petered out, and um, and we're like, "Geez, what do we want to do next?" And I was like, "You know, let's." He's like, "We're thinking about this the wrong way. Like, we were thinking about like how do we elevate ourselves as horror filmmakers to your next, and then after your next, the right career move felt like you know, it's like let's stop making horror movies. Let's make like the movie that'll get us hired to reboot Batman <laughs> or James Bond, and that's going to be this like Korean action movie." And we were we were thinking too like practically still. <laughs> He's just like, "Let's just think about like what we love, like the movies that inspired us to make movies, and like and let's do a version of Halloween." Starring the Terminator, I was like, 
I liked everything you said up until that point. <laughs> like, you lost me there. I mean, I guess I like those films, and yes, those were enormously influential right. on me. But all I could think about was, like, the Wes Craven movie, like, Deadly Friend, or uh, that Mark Lester movie, Class of 1999, where, like, Radon Chong has, like, the flamethrower in her arm. It's a, it's a futuristic high school. The teachers are cyborgs. Sure. Uh, it's a good film. Good film. <laughs> it was a sequel to Class of 1984, which was much more of a Death Wish type thing. Um, but uh, it had Michael J. Fox in it, if I recall correctly. But um, Class of 1999 goes off the rails, because ultimately you don't really want a killer android movie. Um, to be that literal, so but 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 it was funny because he was talking to me about this, and I was like, everything he's saying is like right. It's like we kind of mm-hmm. tried to get away from horror. The philosophy of it is, but correct. yeah, but this isn't what we're good at, you know. Like like mm-hmm. we need to like figure out what we're good at and what people want to see, and like like what are the movies that we would love to see, and mm-hmm. we need to go back to like the core of how we make movies. And and I was just like, wait a minute, that goes actually really well with my like garbage, depressing <laughs> Iraq War idea. Um, like, those, those two ideas fix each other's problems mm. in a way that, like... And I was trying to say this to Adam, and he was just like, well, you know, I trust you. Uh, like, you're not articulating that particularly well. I was, like, <laughs> I was just like, you know what, you know what, just give me a couple weeks, you'll see. And then I went, I wrote the script. Mm. And then I showed it to him, and he was, you know, he was super happy. So what changed for you in, in that script? Well, it was just a completely different approach to it. Mm-hmm. You know, once you take that whole Terminator, Halloween, kind of, like, 80s cinema-influenced stuff, and, and we weren't trying to make, like, a nostalgia piece, because mm-hmm. that's pretty lazy. Um, but we, you know, we wanted to, like, keep all the fun things about those movies. Um, it suddenly, like, it suddenly, like, I realized that plot worked for everything Adam was saying, but it was a completely different movie. Like, like from, you know, I, I didn't, like, go back to that script and start writing at page 31. I went right. back and I started writing at page one. Sure. Um, and it was just like that, and and I lost all like the political you know specifics. I lost like all all the like tonal kind of weird stuff that I was trying to do before, and did much weirder tonal stuff actually. <laughs> but um, but it was just like a way to make like the, the whole thing fun. Um, it, and I just realized like, look, I'd had a good idea at its core. I'd had a good, hmm. but what I'd had was a good kind of B genre movie idea, mm-hmm. and I was trying to write this like you know art movie. Um, whereas, you know, whereas if I approached it more like, you know, an elevated kind of genre movie, which is at the end of the day, what Adam and I are good at, you know, is we like to bring, you know, a real sense of character and dialogue and stuff, but, but bring it to genre movies. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to imitate anything. We always want to be doing something original and innovative that we haven't seen before, but we like working within genre parameters, you know, that way, at least if you go to see one of our movies, you know, you know you're going to get your, like, 15 bucks worth or whatever, you know, because at least we're going to deliver on certain genre expectations right. in the first half anyway, before we go off the rails. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, I mean, so it just it just fixed everything. And, and you know, that's really why, you know, working with Adam is, is so great because I never would have, that epiphany would never have occurred to me on my own, you know, that, that you know, I never would have, like, yeah, I could have meditated on a mountaintop for, like, 50 years and never, like, had the realization sure. that, like, that sensibility worked really well with that particular plot idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, and it's, it's hard to describe, you know, without getting into spoilers. Mm-hmm. But, but it, just, it just, from that point on, you know, the pages flowed. And, and that's for me, that's great. you know, again, I'm not working, generally I don't work for studios. I have, you know, been hired to write certain things where the pages didn't flow and you have to kind of make them flow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, those aren't the scripts that I'm proudest of. Um, you know, but, uh, but in general, that's kind of it. It's like, look... Uh, you know, I write what I want, what I want to write, when I want to write it, and if it's 
and if I don't want to write it, that's maybe a problem, you know, and it's not just my laziness. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's a problem with like the script itself and I need to think about it for another year before I write it. Mm-hmm. Now, now coming out the other side of the guest, do you feel like you made the movie that you guys wanted to make? Oh yeah. That's yeah. Great. I mean, <laughs> the movie may have deficiencies, but they're, <laughs> but they're entirely our fault. Perfect. Um, it, this is actually the first one that we've done where like, look, if you don't like it, uh, we can't blame anyone else. We can't blame the budget. We can't blame, you know, like the fact that it rained, you know, well, it did rain a lot, but that, but, but <laughs> right. the movie still, you know, the movie is what we wanted it to be. And, and, you know, and, and honestly, I, I look, I mean, because this is the kind of, you know, podcast that it is, I want to be very frank about this. If I watch the guest, all I see are mistakes that I feel like I made sure. and, and I, and all I want to do is improve. And I feel like our next films will be better, but that's also, you know, if you're, if you're out there celebrating and patting yourself on the back, uh, you know, you might want to look at the way you're making films because um, at the end of the day, you shouldn't be celebrating because you should be stressed out because, you know, the work should be as good as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's what writer's block is, is that terror that what's in your head when it comes out on the page won't be as perfect and, and beautiful as what was in your head. You know, this beautiful idea yeah. that you can, you know, drunkenly articulate so well to your girlfriend. If you actually were to sit down and write it, your the filter of your talent would spoil it. Mm-hmm. And it would turn out, your, you know, your beautiful clay sculpture would turn out a mangled, a- unusable ashtray. And, and that's what writer's block is, is that terror. And you should always have that terror because that terror makes you improve as an artist. But so I'm, look, I watch The Guest and I'm like, I, I, I was lacking in talent and I'm mad at myself, <laughs> but I'm better now. And, and right. you know, and look, I'm really, I'm very proud of it. And it is the movie we wanted to make and, and audiences seem to really have a great time with it. And that, right. at the end of the day, that's all we wanted. That's awesome. You know, um, let's talk for a minute about uh, the ten years of struggling. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I like uh, to talk about that. Yes. Okay. You can just say it. I'll add it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know. We- yeah, we need to be out by like six forty-five because we have a screening. Okay. 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 Uh, tell us very briefly about um, being a PI. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. crazy. I'm still a licensed private investigator. How did, I can show how you, did my, you look at this and go, that's the day, day job? That's the oh, thing I mean, yeah. The, the, to assume that I had like, that kind of like wherewithal <laughs> um, is, to, is to really take my story in the wrong terms. Um, nothing, uh, you know, in terms of that was planned. Um, I graduated from uh, film school with, uh, with concentration in photography mm-hmm. um, because, you know, that was obviously, you know, a brilliant idea. Um, right around, of course, the time that, like, you know, digital cameras and stuff were, right. like, you Perfect. know, totally becoming prevalent <laughs> and all my uh, technical knowledge instantly became obsolete. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, I edited my senior films, you know, like on a flatbed, you know, uh, like Moviola type thing and, you know, was kind of like learning Avid a little bit at the time. But everyone's like, I don't know if this is going to stick around. Yep. Yeah. Now, anyway, I, I, I now know Final Cut and Avid pretty well. <laughs> so, um, so I, you know, I had this useless degree like everyone does. Um, and, and I didn't know what to do. You know, no one was, I, I knew pretty quickly that I didn't want to like, that I couldn't, I didn't have the disposition to like work my way up in the studio system to PA or intern mm-hmm. somewhere. I knew that if I was reading other people's bad scripts all day long and giving like coverage on them, I would not go home and want to write. So I had the idea that I just wanted to work completely outside of the film industry, uh, until, you know, until things worked out for me, whatever that meant, you know, mm-hmm. like selling a script, getting a film financed, um, you know, my, my plan was to, you know, start making my own movies for $60,000 or so. And it actually took me uh, quite a while to actually end up doing that with Adam. Sure. Um, but yeah, you know, so, so I, um, so I applied at a temp agency like, like you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was right out of, uh, 
right out of film school, didn't have any money, and applied at a temp agency. And they put me a couple places, discovered that I wasn't really good at interacting with like people. Um, and then there was a there was a private investigations company, and and I I won't name them because I don't think they'd they'd appreciate it. But I'm still friends with everyone there. Um, and they needed their filing system redone. It was about a one week job. And during that week, I kept my Walkman on, and this was an actual cassette Walkman. Um, to to, but that wasn't nece- that actually necessarily wasn't how old I am. I just was kind of uh, anachronistic <laughs> even back then, um, and I kept it on the entire time. You know, just listening to these kind of mixtapes I'd made. Um, and uh, and then at the end of the week, uh, the president of the company came up to me and he was like, "Hey." Uh, we like you. How'd you like to be a private investigator? And I literally don't you think know I, how to shut up. Yeah, I don't think I said a word to anyone. I just, but I did. You know, I know I know the alphabet pretty well, so I've done a really good. I've done a really good job with their files, and I've done it pretty efficiently. And look, I just minded my own business. And he mm-hmm. and he was literally just like, "How would you like to be a private investigator?" And I was like, "You know, well, what's what's the pay?" He's like, thirteen fifty an hour." I was like, "Are you kidding? Yeah, like yeah, I'd love to be a private investigator." So and that was it. That's my story of how I became a private That's investigator. That's ridiculous. Um, and I'm still licensed. I, I got my. How life. did you get licensed? What did you have to do? And. A lot of this stuff is going to scare you. Uh, it's really easy to get licensed. I mean, and back in the day, prior to you know, like prior to the Homeland Security stuff, it's changed around like 2004. But it was really back in the day, you could just like look up anyone in these databases by their you know get their social security number, mm-hmm. get their mother's maiden name. I mean, it was shocking how easy it was to track people mm-hmm. in these like like late 90s, early 2000 version of the internet for private investigators. It was an easy job. Then it became a hard job. Then I didn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Actually, I didn't ever want to do it. But then I became bad at it. Is probably the best way to put it. Um, I was good at it when it was easy. <laughs> sure. But um, I, I, you know, I, I'm um, I can't talk really specifically about anything that I ever did. But um, but it was it was you know I worked underneath private investigators, and that's how you get licensed. Mm-hmm. Is you work um, you work like underneath someone else sure. for like two thousand hours or so, which amounts to basically two years. You know, full time work like as a PI. If you're a fire marshal or whatever, you can get licensed easier. And then you mm-hmm. just take a multiple choice test that. As far as I can tell, it's impossible to fail. Lengthy, <laughs> lengthy and complicated, but but I mean, like if I like I came out of it just be like, well, I guessed on like 100 percent of those questions. And, and they're like, here's your license. And I was like, oh, sweet. Um, and then you're licensed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm licensed, and I'm licensed in the state of California. I did a lot of my work in New York. I was living in Brooklyn for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was writing uh, like Dead Birds, uh, I was in Brooklyn. Um, and, um, and then I moved back out here when I sold dead birds and kept working for the company, which had, uh, offices out here. And, uh, and you know, at that time I became an independent contractor for them so I could work from home, mm-hmm. had flexible hours. If I needed to take a couple months off to go make a movie, I could. And I mean, it was the most wonderful day job. Right. I complain about it and, uh, because I complain bitterly about everything. And it of seems course, like an ideal situation for for an aspiring writer, uh, an aspiring filmmaker. It was a wonderful job. Um, there were many bad things about it. It was it was either extremely stressful or extremely boring. Sure. It was never in that like in between area of like being actually interesting. <laughs> um, but but in the, and it was difficult in a lot of ways, you know. But it was um but it was a really wonderful job. You know, there were some ethical quandaries, um, you know, and 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 possibly some karmic debt accrued that I'm aware of. But um but you know but it really did uh, it afforded me. The time you know to 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 work with Adam and to start mm-hmm. kind of building the career that I have, um, you know, I even wrote a novel when I was working as a investigator that I'm working on. A, you know, I'm I, I just um, I'm working right now with a couple of agents to get that actually in sellable shape. Nice. Um, yeah, a young adult novel that I'm really proud of. It's like a murder mystery type thing. How fun! Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I, like it's like a whole series. And but I did that all while I was working as a PI. That's right. Um, and then like you know just um, mentioned it to my agent kind of recently, <laughs> and he was like. 
you know young adult novels are selling right now, right? And I was like, yeah, but I mean, probably not ones like this. And then he read it, and he was like, well, you're kind of correct about that. Um, but I do like it, and I think we can sell it. So we'll, I just we'll give it the right goes. cover. You'll be fine. Well, I don't know. Uh, before we wrap up, uh, <laughs> tell me, uh, is there anything you are watching on television, anything you, uh, movies you have seen recently that you are excited about that you want to talk about that you have been talking about with your collaborators? Oh, my gosh. This kind of question always makes me go blank. I will have the perfect answer to this question when I'm driving to our screening in about 20 minutes. Um, I, You know, we do talk, uh, particularly with Adam, Keith, and Jess, we talk constantly, and we're constantly Mm -hmm. consuming stuff. But again, the stuff that I take the most inspiration from tends to be stuff that I don't like. Mm -hmm. tends to be stuff that I watch and, and I'm frustrated by and angered by. And sometimes it's successful and sometimes it's profoundly obscure. You know, I mean, I tend to watch a lot of foreign movies and stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I recently rewatched The Japanese Some Confessions, um, which is one of my favorite films, but that hasn't been released over here yet. That came out in 2010. Um, that's a movie that I've studied a lot recently. Mm-hmm. Um, TV right now is in a bit of a off period. I'm excited for Boardwalk Empire to start up again um, and things like that. But, it, like, you know, it's like I just started watching a review. But, so good. Um, yeah, and, and Adam, uh, I finally turned Adam on to Rick and Morty. <laughs> but I don't really know that any of that, like, is necessarily going to inform any of our creative decisions. It's more just like... Well, I, no, we, people just like to know what you're excited about, what you're into. Oh, man, I'm, I'm excited about all kinds of stuff. Um, I'm reading a bunch right now. I, I You know, I've been... Um, I've been kind of, uh, you know, the comic books I'm reading are Saga and Black Science. Both of those just Mm -hmm. kind of are active right now. Both of those are like, you know, the best kind of hard side being being written right now. William Gibson has a new book coming out that I'm excited about. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just finished The Magician's Land. Um, Is that that series? Yeah, he just just finished the trilogy. Mm -hmm. And I loved that book. Like, I felt like he, like, completely, like, 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 talk about, like, how to nail... Like an ending to a series, because um, I feel like you know a lot of um a lot of the series that I really love, including even like really big stuff like Hunger Games and Harry Potter, mm-hmm. they can't they can't quite nail that ending. You know, it's what we were talking mm-hmm. about before. It's like the ending isn't quite there. Um, and then you know, so when you read read something like The Magician's Land, um, where it just builds to such an amazing climax and like final kind of sentence, right. you know, it, it just feels wonderful as a as a writer to to read that. But um. You know, I take inspiration from interesting things. Uh, uh, there's a there's a Farsi language, or um, I think it's Farsi. There's a Farsi language uh, vampire film coming out soon called A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Um, that I've I've become friendly now with its filmmaker, but I didn't know her at all when I saw the movie. That I found that really inspirational, hmm. just because I'd, you know, I went to see it being like, oh yeah, of course, like you know, Farsi language black and white vampire movies <laughs> at Sundance. Of course it is. You know, I'm gonna hate this. And I loved it, and I love it's. It has such a wonderful sense of humor, and it's so entertaining. Um, and it, it really just felt like she was playing by a completely different set of filmmaking rules. And like, like going into it, just being like, "Oh, yeah, black and white Farsi language." Uh, like, like then you see it, and you're like, "Oh, this makes perfect sense." Um, there's also a film, um, Wetlands, which uh, when this airs will be in theaters. Okay. Um, it's a German film that's an extremely explicit romantic comedy um, about a girl that's like really obsessed with like bodily fluids and and. And like just like being like kind of like like the more disgusting elements of her own body, um, and and again that movie like completely I went to see it like with kind of like reluctance, but I feel like I need to see a lot of anything that like is innovative or transgressive. Mm-hmm. I feel like I like owe it to my potential audience to see because if I don't know what's happening at like the outer edges of like cinema, 
then I'm going to start being like, like repetitive and cliched and redundant. Like you need to always know what is happening, like on the most innovative edges of, of the field in which you work. Cause you need to know how to surpass that mm-hmm. with your own work, even if you're working in a more conventional storytelling method. So I went to see wetlands kind of with my teeth gritted and, you know, had the time of my life and loved it. So, so I, you know, that, you know, there's only going to be a certain kind of amount of viewers that can stomach that film in particular, but I highly recommend it. It's, it's incredibly inspiring. Right. Um, and so, you know, so, so yeah. And again, I'm going to like, I'm going to get off, like, you know, get get in my car and like, send me a list. Like, send you know, I just we'll feel like, Oh, like I should have said, uh, uh, the guest is out this week, this very week. Um, go see it. I like what I've seen so far from, from you guys. And <laughs> honestly, I, I'm, I'm excited for it. I wish I could have seen it before we got well, to I, I, I certainly hope you enjoy it. I bet I will. Look, we stuck the ending. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Now leaving Nerdist.com.